I don't feel purposeful and fulfilled here. Like I'm doing a terrible job. Mm -hmm. Nobody's getting anything out of this. Mm -hmm. Everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. I'm (laughs) the biggest one for my boss is that he'll text me and be like, Hey, can you stop by my office? The second text message and no, you're not fired. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel that on such an emotional level. Yes. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Enneagram Podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram and the context of work. I would love to introduce our two guests today who are both Enneagram Type 4s. First, we have Jayton Ames, who is a longtime friend and student pastor of a non-denominational church. Welcome to the show, Jayton. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here. I feel very special and unique and, <laughs> and seen. Good. Very good. That's the idea. I love it. Our second guest is Dusty Green, who is a more recent friend of mine in the past year or so, and she is the resident director, not the, but one of the resident directors for a private Baptist university. Welcome to the show, Dusty. Thanks. And I mean, it's okay if you want to say I am the The. resident director. I am different from all the other resident directors. (laughs) Yes and amen. (laughs) All right. My goal for our time together is that people would hear what it's like to be an Enneagram 4 in the world and then to get some ideas of where their three wing might show up and where their five wing might show up. And fun. We'll get to this, I think, later in the show. But fun story. I try to when I can. It doesn't always work out this way. I try to get someone who's more developed in one wing and then another who's more developed in the other. And so for a while, we thought maybe Jayton was developed in his three wing and Dusty Dusty more in the five wing. Uh, But as of today, today. (laughs) we have learned Jayton may be more developed in the five wing. Yeah, for sure. Which I'm still important though, right? Like 100%. And, and I'm unique. still different, right? I'm still different from <laughs> Dusty. Yes. And we're going to find out how. And so I will say, I love that we get to see the nuance even with that, mm. with two fours that are more developed in their five wing. And so for those of you who are listening and you're not sure what this wing talk is, your wings are the number on your left and right side of your main type. Like a bird, your main type is the body, and then you have wings um, that just kind of help enhance the personality, and they act like almost like salt and pepper. So if your main type is the steak, let's say, then your wings are the salt and pepper that help season it and um, make it unique. So we're just going to dive in. First, though, I'd love to know, Jayden, I ask this question all the time, and I've had two pastors on the show previously. And I asked the same question. One was a one, Enneagram one, and the other was an Enneagram nine. And I love asking, but did you always want to be a student pastor? Not immediately. Okay. Like right after I was born, no. (laughs) Um, No, but uh, as a kid, I was very flighty. I probably went through like 14 different things that I wanted to be, especially like right up to probably middle school. Like a few of them were like rodeo clown, um, regular clown. (laughs) Um, paleontologist was a big one when I was really young. Uh, but then I realized dinosaurs were dead and you can't really, yeah. Jurassic park wasn't accurate at that point in my life. And so (laughs) false advertising. No, but thank you for, I just got past a tissue. Um, I'll probably need that if we talk more about dead dinosaurs, but, um, no, I, when I was in middle school, I had this amazing youth pastor who really poured into me and I grew up in a small town where like church is just what you did. And for a long time, like that's just what God was to me. And so, and obviously faith was a big part of my life, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't legitimate up until like I had this guy who started pouring into me in an amazing way. And it was 
probably around high school though that I realized like I want to pour into people that way, mm-hmm. like the way I was poured into, the way I was loved. Like I want that for other people. I want that for other students. And so probably around high school, probably my sophomore year was when I definitively said like, I want to do this. I want to be a youth pastor when I get older. That's amazing. That's, I hear that often that there is a person who has discipled you or sought you out and took an interest in your life. And that makes a huge impact. Oh, it's, it's, I think how most youth pastors are born is, <laughs> is from the efforts of someone else. And yeah. so it's, it's awesome. That's well said. Yeah. All right, Dusty, tell me about being a resident director. What does that mean? And how did you get here? Being a resident director, I feel like means a lot to many different people. And it's a very vague job yeah. because you wear so many hats. But mm-hmm. the way I see it ultimately is it's such a huge ministry and it's really intimate in that you're living with the people that you're ministering to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes it such a unique situation in that, you know, your apartment is next door to the 18 year old girls that I'm getting mm-hmm. to love on and pour into. And that's just, it's, really unlike anything that I ever could have expected it to be. I don't think when I started, I knew really what a resident director did. And yeah. I have figured that out <laughs> over the years. And So there's a ministry element to both of what you guys do. Do y'all think that's just a Jayton and Dusty thing? Or do you think that that's a four thing? Uh, I mean, I, I think there's something to that. Uh, I think with fours being just so passionate and so about being intimate with feelings and Mm. wanting to spill that into the lives of the people around them. I think there's a huge ministry element to that. I would say, yeah, like I think it's definitely a four thing that people tend to lean into things that are more eclectic and creative. And there's not a lot of structure in ministry until you make it. I mean, it's very open. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so that gives a lot of room for a four to kind of hone in on their creative skills and also pour their emotions out around people. That's awesome. Once a four kind of understands their emotion and like what it takes to kind of drive that in a way that's not unhealthy because it can become very unhealthy very easily. But once you understand like this is what passion leads to, this is what like healthy biblical passion is because you have to be passionate about ministry. You have to be passionate about pouring into people and emotion can't drive that, but you have to be able to understand that emotion. Mm. Um, I was mentored by a, a man named Bobby. He always described our lives as trains. Every part of the train is important and just emotions are the same. Emotions are so important, but they cannot pull your train. Mm. They cannot be the the locomotive aspect of it. It's it's the caboose. Like it, You have them, they're there, but if they're driving you, you're going to go off the tracks. And, and ministry is that way. Like you have to be able to step outside of your emotions and even step outside of other people's emotions and understanding them where they're coming from and say, this is how we're going to process this. This is how we're going to push you to Jesus in that way. Somebody listening is going to say, yes, that sounds right. How do I do that? How do I step aside from my emotions? So how would you, what's the practical steps to take for that? And there may not be a mundane ritual. It may may be a bunch of uh, different things. But what would you say to somebody who's like, how do I not let my emotions drive the train? It's difficult. (laughs) It is really difficult. One of my biggest struggles as a four in a job that is so ministry related is that I have a really hard time 
not taking every single thing personal mm-hmm. and having to be able to pull business and and personal feelings apart is yep. really difficult. It feels like pulling apart two pieces of paper that are glued together. Yes. <laughs> and it's because what we do has such a huge eternal impact. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to pull your feelings away from that and your emotions away. And for me, I think it's usually in the failures and in the moments that are tough in my job that I have to really stop and let people around me, like my my supervisor and my colleagues, for them to be able to look at me and say, hey, Dusty, like that student who broke the rules or that student that got kicked out, like that wasn't your fault. Mm. And there's nothing you could have done to stop that. And that is always really um, freeing for me. It's just... It kind of gives me that moment of respite. I don't have to be responsible for them. Mm-hmm. I just have to love them. Yes. Yeah. So for you, it's having somebody speak that truth into you. It's helpful to have somebody that's just like, okay, you're outside of the situation. You're telling me I'm not responsible for that. And that helps my emotions kind of tailor back a little bit. And the most of them are really good friends of mine and just say like, hey, you know me. Here's the situation. Like, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? And mm-hmm. usually it's really grounding for me to hear like, hey, there's nothing you could have done to stop that. Yeah. Like that's not your fault. That's not your responsibility. And you did the best you could. Mm-hmm. I love that. For those listening, take a page out of Dusty's book on that one because it's so easy for force to isolate and just not go to anybody and not reach out or not ask, hey, what's the what's a different vantage point? Love that. Learning to manage those emotions was something like that I'm I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out, especially working with teenagers, because teenagers disappoint you all the time. Oh yeah. And, and you can love them and pour so much effort and time into them and they will still disappoint you and they will still hate you and want to throw bricks at your head. And you're just like, but I'm different. I'm special. You can't, you see what I'm doing for you. Let me love you. (laughs) Exactly. And so, and I'm, I'm even learning that in marriage, um, Mm. which is, which is kind of a new adventure for me right now of figuring out this is a person I made a covenant with and, She's not living up to my expectations today. Mm-hmm. And that upsets me. How, how do yes. I deal with that? And so I think internalizing it isn't always unhealthy because I, there's a healthy way to do it. Absolutely. But also knowing when to step out, like you like you were saying, and go to somebody else and say, like, I need outside perspective right now because I'm having trouble figuring this out on my own. Mm-hmm. It's so huge. Yeah. That is not something that I just naturally gravitate sure. towards. I, I had a mentor in college who said something to me after I didn't get my dream job. He called me before I got the email from HR and he said, I know you're sad and I know this is disappointing and I know how much this hurts. And he said, but here's what I need you to know. You're an incredible person and you're incredibly gifted and the Lord has put such a great calling on your life. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to be sad today, mm-hmm. but when you wake up tomorrow, I want you to keep going and doing good things. Let's go. That's huge. And that got goosebumps. Yeah, like That's that for awesome. me was kind of what put me in that mindset to do that. Is like, okay, yeah, like I have these big feelings, and you know what? I'm going to give myself today to be really angry or really sad or really mm-hmm. disappointed. But then when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to keep going because I have this calling and this job to do, and especially in a job like ministry. We have to keep going because there's such a big need and we can't let our feelings trip us up or stop us or hold us back from from doing that ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is. Man, y'all are killing it. This is good stuff. Y'all both have this element of leadership to what you do. It is easy to look and see how is everybody else leading and then kind of say, well, I don't necessarily want to do it like everybody else. So there is a tension I think force feel and like 
I'm not doing it the way that they, whoever they is, society, the church, the school, thinks that I should be doing it. But I want to be authentic to my style. So there's a tension of like, do I need to fit into what they're saying? And do I do I be true to myself? Is this really where I'm supposed to be because I'm feeling this tension? Does that resonate at all? Yes, absolutely. Um, I So I just started my job, my new job. Yes, you did. About a, a little over a month ago. And I'm in a situation now where it's like they've been doing youth ministry and it works. What they've been doing works right. really well. And it, a lot of it plays to his strengths and mm-hmm. to what he's doing, which by the way, if Pastor Chris, if you're listening, you're amazing. You've been doing an amazing job. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not dogging on you, but he and I are very different. Right. He's, he's, he was a coach for a, in like a high school football coach for years and I played Dungeons and Dragons. And so like, we're very different people. Yeah. And so our leadership styles are even different. Right. And a big temptation is to be like, well, just do what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. I was encouraged when Chris and the other pastors were like, we're not hiring you to be Chris. We're not hiring you to be the last guy. We're, hi- we're hiring Jayton. And so that was huge for me to know that I can come in. I don't have to teach like him. Like I, I don't have to build relationships the way he did, but I can come in and be myself. Kudos to them for seeing like, hey, this is not going to look the same. Mm-hmm. We're transitioning and we yeah. want Jayton to step into that. Absolutely. It's amazing. I love that. What would you add, Dusty? Really, the question also becomes like, can I do that? But also, can I live with myself if I just conform? Mm. Sure. Um, Because that really takes away from like the uniqueness that we believe that we're gifted in and have to offer people. And so, oh, I feel that all the time with the university that I work at. I feel like both theologically and politically and just even in my own character and values, I feel like a lot of things that I see that I want to lean into with my students isn't always what the university necessarily subscribes to. Right. Um, And so there, yeah, there's absolutely challenging. Yeah. There's tension there to, you know, do I do what the university expects of me to do or to say or to be, um, or do I really lean into my own, my own values and to love my students Mm -hmm. and treat them and navigate relationships with them the way that I feel is best for me and for them. Well, I think a lot of that plays into like this idea of authenticity, because if I'm not being authentic, if I'm not being my true self, you're not going to get my best self. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the best parts of me. Some people are like, oh, that's a little bit much. But for me, I'm <laughs> like, the best I, I will not be fulfilled. And I don't think yeah. I will be fulfilling yeah. if I'm not true to myself. Mm-hmm. As well as pushing us towards burnout so much quicker. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Um, and I feel that even like yeah. even on a bigger scale of working in the job I work in, I think when you're in a job that requires so much emotional capacity and mental capacity on a daily basis and there's so much crisis care and counseling like it is easy just in and of itself to get burnt out mm-hmm. in a position like ours and mm-hmm. i think when that's added to it and there's this added pressure to not even do or lean into the parts that do fulfill you and bring you purpose and joy you're just you're already borrowing from tomorrow's mm. energy and capacity to yeah. get through the day and that can make your job incredibly miserable mm-hmm. with fours there is this nagging feeling almost constantly that something's missing we were just joking about this before the podcast but something's missing so for the four out there who is in a job that's asking them to conform to their principles their structure they don't have any creative liberties which fours really do need in their work how do you 
tell the difference between something is missing and that's a perceived something and you are not allowed to be who you are. Because there's a fine line, I feel like, forced to figure out the difference between, oh, nope, that's my emotions telling me something is missing, but we're actually good here. Or, nope, something is genuinely missing here. It is, I have no creative liberties and I cannot be true to myself. It really requires having those converse, those tougher conversations with your colleagues and with your, especially your supervisor mm-hmm. and say, what what is it that you expect of me? What mm-hmm. is it that you, you know, what is it that you want here? I think it's easy for fours to get those two com- like mixed yep. up often. Yep. You get in your head or you you internalize something that went wrong and you're like, oh, I'm not like, I don't feel purposeful and fulfilled here. Like I'm doing a terrible job. Mm-hmm. Nobody's getting anything out of this. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. I'm (laughs) the biggest one for my boss is that he'll text me and be like, hey, can you stop by my office? The second text message and no, you're not fired. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel that on such an emotional level. Yes. And, (laughs) and it's, I I think when you know, and it has been verbalized to you that no, there's clarity. There's clarity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Clarity, clear is kind. And Mm so when you're making sure that the people around you and you're constantly temperature checking, Hey, like, is this really what you want? Is this what you expect? Are you really giving me permission here to lean into my own creative abilities and gifts in order to make this successful and work? Mm-hmm. Um, having that clarity and that that affirmation is, I think, exactly what a four needs. Yes. Speaking of wings and wing five, being just knowledgeable and informed of your role, being able to constantly check in with your supervisor or with the people on your team and say, hey, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've leaned into in my job. Mm-hmm. You know, do you see this being successful? Do you see this working? Because we can put blinders on and be so hyper focused on, you know, maybe one thing that we're doing or this one project yep. that. And it's all consuming. Right. And it and it's very holistic. It's yeah. not just always one project or one relationship. There's so much, there's so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. And so to get outside perspective brought in and say, like, no, yeah, like you're killing it. I like I need that. And I'm mm-hmm. love language wise, I'm a huge words of affirmation person. Yes. Jayden, are you words of affirmation too? I am a words of affirmation guy. That's probably the biggest one for me. Okay. Is I mean, even at work, like I have got to hear from somebody that I wasn't terrible. My wife loves to be that person to be like, you did great. You did good. I said, but yeah, but you're biased. Mm-hmm. I need someone who doesn't have to live with me in my sadness <laughs> to come up and tell me that I did a good job. Yes. And and so if I don't get that, like if I teach and people don't say like, hey, that, like, that was good. Like we got something out of that. Then I'm like, I didn't preach the gospel today. I'm, I'm a false teacher. I, I'm not good at this. I should I should just be like, doing something totally different. Yes. Can I just say I love conversations with fours and, <laughs> and I see the five wing coming out in you guys because there's such wisdom in what you're sharing. Like I've got goosebumps nine million times. I wish I could be a three for you so that you had, <laughs> so you had more. <laughs> I know that uh, you're the person asking questions, but can I ask a Please, question? Please, come on. Jaden, you were talking about the idea of st- stability and being stuck. Can you give an example of when you realized it was being stuck and not stable? Sure. My first official big boy job and the one after that. So the second church I worked at as like a youth pastor, I was stuck there. And there there was a lot of it had to do with my relationship and my emotions with some of the leadership in that church. Um, I loved them to death and I and I loved that it, I loved that town and I loved the people there. But 
I felt like I was fenced in Mm -hmm. and that there were expectations of how I should be doing youth ministry from other people and how I should be pouring into kids. And I was like, that's not me though. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And I can't force myself to be this youth pastor that you're looking for. And so in an effort to protect my ministry and protect the church and protect unity, I, I left. It was a very poor thing for me to do just to be like, I don't have any prospects. I'm probably going to be homeless now. I don't have <laughs> like hardly any money because I'm, you know, a part-time youth pastor already. Even when I have a stable job, I have no money. And so- I might be starving, but might, I'm authentic to I me. I might be starving, but I feel fulfilled. Um, <laughs> I was thinking more like pride and prejudice. She's, I'm 27. I have no money and no prospects. And I'm afraid. When I definitely bought into some unhealthy ideas after I left that church, because I was like, I, I don't have a college education. I just left a job. I, I don't have anywhere to live. On paper, I look terrible. Like I, I don't have, I worked at this one church for a year and a half and now I, I left there. And then if people ask me what happened, it's going to look like there's something wrong with Jayton. Mm. And that was one of those times where I had to learn to decipher what is truth and what, I, what am I allowing my emotions to tell me? Um, and so that, I know that was a lot to say that that was a situation where I felt stuck, mm-hmm. where I felt like, you know what, like, I'm not going to get to be me. I'm not going to get to be authentic. What they're asking me to do, I can't be that. And I'm not going to pretend to be that. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, I removed myself. And there's such a, there's such a tug between fours recognizing that their feelings aren't always truth. And then fives, you know, leaning into that wing five and you want to feel knowledgeable and you want to feel like you have a complete understanding of the decision you're making or the path that you're taking. And so I feel like even those have a tug at each other mm-hmm. where you want to make sure you're making a fully informed and knowledgeable and wise decision, but also having to wrestle with like, are my feelings factual mm-hmm. or am I just disappointed or am I just sad? Mm-hmm. Or is this like, is this truth? Is there truth right. behind these feelings? And that's something I think fours really have to struggle through is mm-hmm. that the idea that our feelings aren't always truth. Cause it's really easy to jump to like, I'm sad. This is the end of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> it, rather than yeah. I'm sad. This is going to be a really bad day. It's like, yes. no, like there will never be happiness again right. because of what is happening right now. And um, because of yeah. wing five, you want to withdraw and isolate. So you say, this is the end of the world and we sleep with our tennis shoes by our bedside. Like the minute <laughs> or things- on. Yeah, or just on at <laughs> night. And it's like the minute things go wrong, I'm out of here and yeah. I'm going to run so far in the opposite direction until I don't feel sad anymore. Yeah. And then you look up and you're like, I don't know, in the middle of El Paso, Texas, and there's nothing around but like tumbleweeds. And you're like, oh, maybe I was a little bit dramatic there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to turn, I'm going to get an Uber and I'm going to go back and figure it out. Fours Absolutely. are labeled, and I hate to use the term labeled, but fours are labeled dramatic. Is that offensive? It feels offensive. Well, first of all, um, how dare you? <laughs> no, I would, I would say that's, it's accurate. I hate that it's accurate. It makes me feel things that it's accurate. <laughs> Um, but it would be dramatic of me to to lash out a bit about that. <laughs> I think it depends. I think it's kind okay. of, I would almost equate it with when you have siblings, which I'm an only child, so I'm speaking out of turn, I guess. But when you have siblings and like you're like, I can make fun of my brother, but you can't make fun of my brother. Right, right. I feel like it's kind of like that with fours. It's like, we can say that we're being dramatic, but when someone looks at us and says like, Jayton, you're being dramatic right now, it feels like our feelings aren't being considered mm. or at least 
these people that we look to, that we want to know us and see us have to recognize that we have big feelings Mm. and that big doesn't have to mean dramatic or that Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to mean over the top. It just means that we feel so much bigger than most Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And having to equate that with people who feel things on a smaller scale and just say like, hey, you're feeling really sad and that's okay. Um, That doesn't make us dramatic. It just just means that our feelings are bigger and it may take us more time to navigate through those feelings to get to the other side. Right. Well, I think for a lot of people, dramatic and drama feels like there is an uncontrolled aspect to your emotions. Sure. Like you need to reel it in, dude. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're way out of control. You're being dramatic. Um, but it's like I tell people like you, you talked about like when people poke fun at you, it's like I make fun of myself so you don't have That's to. That's right. Like I'll do the job for you because <laughs> – I know how far I can take it. Yeah. <laughs> but but for you other don't have to. It's yeah. already filled. <laughs> right. Like you don't have to say anything to me. Like you're not saying anything that I don't already tell myself in the mirror every day. Yeah. So really save yourself the trouble. <laughs> okay. So I want to shift into the wings a little bit. We've talked mm-hmm. about them a bit. So how do you know that you were more developed in your five wing? In the last couple of years, I did think for the longest time that I leaned heavier into my wing three. Um, because I'm so type A and I'm so organized mm. that I just kind of, I think without really diving into it, just assumed that I was a wing three because wing threes care about perfection and finishing the job and checking the boxes. And so for me, like that was, that's always been a big thing in my life. And so I was just like, well, yeah, obviously I'm a wing three, but as I leaned and looked into wings, I realized really, especially in work that a lot of my issue is tend to be because I don't feel enough. And I think that comes from more of a five stance than a three stance of I, I don't feel knowledgeable enough. I don't feel qualified enough. I don't feel like I said the right thing or I didn't handle that relationship or that, that issue that these roommates were having well. And that not enoughness, Mm. I think tends to come from a five place rather than a three place. And, and sometimes I guess it's both. Totally could be. But but knowing what the motivation is, right? Because threes and fives both they both want to be capable and competent. Yeah. But threes are more so on the efficiency side of things, and and they're both disconnected from emotions. Mm-hmm. So it is really hard, I think, for fours to discern what is the motivation. Yeah. Um, is that more of a three or a five? Thing? And my motivation, I think, I realized over time in these last three years in my job has been, am I? do I know enough to do this well? Mm -hmm. Do I feel confident enough that, you know, my studies in college or, you know, what I learned in grad school, um, is that enough? Mm -hmm. Do I know enough to really love and do this ministry well? Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that motivation and that that's where my heart tends to lean made me realize that I think I'm more of a wing five. Love it. And along with that, withdrawing and isolation of kind of where the five goes when they want to shut their feelings off. How about you, Jaden? When I got into Enneagram, well, I, I mean, you know, I used to tell people like, I'm a two, but I'm a four on bad days, Yes. which really all that meant was like, I'm a four, but I, I want to be not a four. <laughs> <laughs> and so for the longest time, I thought I was a two, but once I kind of finally realized like, oh no, I'm a four, um, the reason I thought I was a two is because I thought I had a wing three because I can, I know when to turn it on. Like mm-hmm. I, I can turn it on and I, I feel sometimes like the little frog from Looney Tunes, the one where like, when like the crowd's looking at him, he's just like a, he's like a little frog. But when he's ready, like when the, when it's just the one guy he's like dancing and yes. singing and he can do that. And I felt like that frog 
I still do feel like that frog a lot where like I can turn it on and I can sing and I can dance and I can do all the stuff, mm -hmm. but I have got to be the sad little bump on a log sometimes. And today I was listening to one of your training videos, just kind of preparing for this podcast. Cause I had told you before this, like I'm a wing three, so that's great. That'll be really good. And I was listening to you describe a wing five and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's what I am. It's I'm me. A, I'm a wink five and I've just ruined the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> made it better. But it made it better, I hope. Yes, I can turn it on. Yes, I can be the dancing frog. And I see that a lot when I teach, when I'm prepping a sermon or, or a lesson and I'm studying and I'm reading, I'm like, I have to understand this fully. One, just because I'm terrified. I want to be a false teacher. But yes. I also, but I also want, to be right. And I, and I want to accurately describe the truth behind what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, after I've, I've poured all that out and after I've put all that effort, um, into that, I have to stop and I have to deflate and I have to just be mm -hmm. because I, I have poured out that emotion. I have allowed my emotion and my energy and this passion within me out. Mm -hmm. And then I have to reel it back in. So if we look at the Enneagram, the way that the four and five is positioned is fascinating. It's one of my favorite wings, the four wing five or the five wing four. There's a gap just right in the middle. So everything else kind of has this neat little combination and you can wing left or right to your numbers and it's it's a easy enough grab. Uh, for the four to wing five, there is that gap that they have to overcome. And same with the five when they wing four. Do y'all feel that gap when your emotions and you're like, wait, where's the logic? Tell me about it. Oh, 100%. <laughs> there, I can't count the number of times that I've had to stop myself mid emotion and say like, am I just being dramatic or does this really make sense? <laughs> And yeah, I feel like sometimes it feels like a small gap, depending on what it is. And sometimes it feels like a chasm mm. where, you know, we are very heart driven. It's really hard because, like you said, if if you're if you're spewing out knowledge and you're you're relaying information and there's no heart behind it, then what what does it matter? Mm -hmm. And I think I feel that in my job sometimes of like, you know, I my job is is interesting because it's a ministry, but it's also overseeing a dorm. Mm -hmm. And that can really, you know, without that overflow of feelings and emotion and care behind the why, that job can become so menial and it becomes so like, it can be so easy to burn out mm -hmm. when all you're doing is focusing on the information. We have, you know, I have these two students and they're fighting because one girl took her shirt out of the closet and didn't give it back to her roommate and didn't ask her to borrow it. And it's like things like that day after day after day mm -hmm. when there's no um, getting to the why and there's no, you know, leaning into the emotion behind like, no, let's talk about why you're really upset. Mm -hmm. It's not because your roommate took your shirt without asking. It's because your roommate's been hanging out with your friends and leaving you out. And these things come out in those relationships and, yep. and kind of like Jayton said, without, without being able to pour into that and lean into that, when you're having to balance this emotion and logic, that's, those are those moments when it feels like a chasm mm -hmm. that you have to jump across. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't always make it. Mm -mm. Sometimes I let my emotions get the best of me in a situation or when I'm really invested in something at work and it doesn't go the way I want it to, or I end up, you know, I made the wrong call or I. 
I fail. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to close that gap and try to logic my way out of being upset yes. or being frustrated that I failed or that it, something didn't go the way I expected it to and my expectations weren't met. And that's often those moments, like I said, when I have to rally and lean around my people and say, hey, I need you to, I need you to help me reel this in because I, I can't on my mm-hmm. own right now. I think I tend to spend more time on the five end like of things because I've I've worked really hard to control my emotions to not allow them to to get the best of me. But mm-hmm. I've noticed that if I spend too much time saying, no, you don't get to feel this today. You've got work to do. You've got stuff going on. It will bubble up yeah, and it will begin to manifest in different like unhealthy habits. It will begin to manifest in different like like triggers and, and little ticks where I'm just, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting agitated or irritable mm-hmm. and I just have to be like, all right, you need to go be sad for a little bit and yeah. have a good cry. Yep. And so I think the gap for me isn't getting over to the five, to the logical. It's allowing myself to be illogical and emotional sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that's so well said and such encouragement because our culture does not appreciate emotion in men typically. And that's not to say that it's never appreciated, but generally when men show emotion, it is viewed as a weakness. And from other men, it's like, man, toughen up. And from other women, it's like, we need you to be strong because you got to lead us. There's so much pressure I think we can put on men misunderstanding the fact that emotions have their rightful place. And so anytime I think men get emotional or show their emotions. It is an act of true courage, at least in our society in America. Do you feel or resonate with that from a male perspective? And then Dusty, I'd love to know your thoughts, even because I think emotions in general, we're all like, "Mm, stuff it. And I don't think that's great. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in like a small town, Texas area. And so it was very much a like- Rub some dirt in it. Rub some dirt in it, boy, get up and and spit in your own eye. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't even know how to do that. But I- (laughs) I, I was not a cowboy kind of kid growing up. And I, I grew up around like actual real cowboys and, and dudes who went out and worked in oil fields and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, I want to be a clown. <laughs> and so like, it was very much like I still played sports. I did baseball and stuff, but I did theater and I wanted to like go and do all this like cool, like oral reading and, yeah. and things like that. And because I, I love the emotion behind it, but I like, People talked bad about me. People started rumors about me and and you know how kids can be. Mm-hmm. And so I think just growing up the way I did, like eventually people just knew that that's just, Jayton is that way. Mm-hmm. And they became more accepting the older I got. But when you're a young kid, especially like it's, it's so hard because you also don't know how to manage your emotions. Yep. Like you haven't, you haven't figured that out yet. Now, like being, even being in ministry, in a role where like pastors like are held to a higher standard mm-hmm. and there there is a biblical side of that but there's also a side of that where people just have unrealistic expectations of you and like I'm not allowed to be angry I'm not allowed to be sad mm-hmm. and there are times where I do need to put that cap on it not just as a man but as as a pastor but it is normal for some people but it's not it isn't normal for fours mm-hmm. um and we can't allow that to be a normalization especially when we become unhealthy when we don't let ourselves feel what we feel. And it is, I think it is better to seem unique and awkward even rather than unhealthy because that unhealthiness is when you start to have issues. Mm-hmm. When, when like stuff you shouldn't be doing starts to happen, things you start chasing start to happen because you're not allowing yourself to process. Yep. What would you add? 
I have just been over here shaking my head because <laughs> I feel like I'm just like looking in a mirror um, because literally same. I grew up in a small East Texas town. All my family, they were in the oil field. They were cowboys. They owned farms. Yeah. And li yeah, literally same. I grew up in a small town high school that was about football and, you know, my cousins, they were all cheerleaders and they were in FFA and they were football players. And I was in band. I was the band nerd and my family had season tickets to football games and their time to get up and socialize was halftime. And, <sighs> and that was something I dealt with all through school. Oh man. Um, and so, yeah, like, and also with that, I grew up with parents who are 40 and 42 years older than me. Um, and so I basically grew up with parents that my friends had as grandparents mm -hmm. and my parents grew up in a culture growing up in the fifties where it was, you put your best face forward. And for women, it was, you put your makeup on and you do your hair and you leave your problems at home. Right. And so even for women, like same, like I, I grew up with a single mom who was never given space to feel. And so she tried to, I think she thought she was breaking the fourth wall by saying like, you can talk to me about anything. And when you're upset, I want to be there for you. And then when I would give her the opportunity to be there and let her see the emotions I was feeling, it scared her mm. and it made her shut down and she would go, Whoa, I don't know how to deal with this. Mm -hmm. um, and that was always really hard to navigate. And so I had to learn through chosen family and through friends and mentors and people in the church that it is so key for a four. I mean, and, and at that time I had no idea what Enneagram was, but I knew that I had different feelings than most people. Leaning into and understanding fours, though, now I think it's so key to have people who provide and allow space to feel, mm -hmm. um, especially in the workplace. I love that you said that. I was going to ask, what does that look like to have appropriate emotions in the workplace and to have people yeah, encourage I think appropriate it is, emotion? You have to have people in leadership for you specifically as a four that understand the the gravity of a four's emotions mm -hmm. knowing that sometimes they can feel out of control on from their perspective but for us knowing that it's kind of controlled within ourselves like we know that it feels big and uncontrolled but it's very much like no I just need to feel this so that I can move forward mm -hmm. for me it's having a boss who recognizes that and who allows me within the work day and within the work environment to take a breath and take a beat and go step out because there are days and moments where I am so overwhelmed and my emotions get the best of me. Mm -hmm. And he, he being my boss, he really gives me space. And he says, why don't you go take a lap? Why don't you go take an hour, go get off campus and get a cup of coffee, go home, be with your cat, whatever it is. <laughs> yes. And, and let yourself go feel for a minute, but know that you have a job to do and you have students to love and you go take your minute and then you come back and do your job well. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's just having people who give you permission to take that space mm -hmm. when, mm -hmm. when it's absolutely needed. Cause without that kind of like Jaden said, it, you start to just shove it down and bottle it up and then it does explode. Mm -hmm. And then that causes way more harm than losing an hour of your work day ever could have. Yeah. Yeah. As if that's harmful at all, losing and losing an hour. No. Right. Yeah. Yes. We have to teach people how to treat us. We yeah. have to teach people how to work with us. And that's not saying they need to adjust or conform to you. It's just saying, here's how we work well together. Mm -hmm. Come alongside. Don't shame me. Don't, don't do that to any Enneagram number, but especially not a four. Come on. I'm disappointed. 
and I know they were a type one. So I'm even <laughs> more disappointed knowing because that's our bent. But I'm going to do something that I've never done with any of the other people here in a second. We're special. <laughs> we're so different. <laughs> um, that was a high five. But before we jump into it, I do want to leave some space for you guys. Are there questions that you want to ask me or each other? And are there some things that we didn't get to all of my pre-planned questions? But is there something that you wanted, you felt like the Lord put on your heart that we didn't get to talk about? before we kind of close together. <laughs> well, I, I love that we just looked at each other. I know, like, this is so good. And like, you first, please. Um, <laughs> you think of what I'm thinking? I don't know. I think, so Amy like ran through these questions with me. Amy's my wife. She's amazing. She's Amy a six. six. Yes. She ran through these questions with me and it got, one of the last questions you had kind of sent to us beforehand was, what advice would you give other Enneagram fours? A big thing for me, and I told Amy, I was like, it, like, I've already brought up this scripture before, but knowledge puffs up and love builds up. It's good to know. Like it's good to know things. And it's really easy as a four to feel like no one else can handle what I've got going on. Mm -hmm. They just want my knowledge. They just want what I can offer as far as what's helpful and my emotions aren't that. But like scripture is very clear. Like if you're not loving people, like it doesn't matter how much you know. Like one of the one of the greatest mm -hmm. things I ever learned at UMHB, which is where I went to college, People don't care about how much you know until they know about how much you care. Mm -hmm. And so my my big advice to fours is allow yourself to feel, allow yourself to get to that point of being sad or or extremely happy about mm -hmm. things. Like I, I, we've talked a lot about sadness and anxiety, but with fours, there is also high highs mm -hmm. and, it, and it's okay to feel really excited and to allow that to, to spill out. Um, just like our, our, some of our more sad, less desirable emotions sure. spill out yeah. as well. But like, the reason knowledge puffs up is because without that love, without that hope behind it, all it is is just hot air. Mm -hmm. Like that's all it is. And mm -hmm. so um, don't be afraid to feel. Don't be afraid to to love and to get excited. Don't be afraid to be passionate. And if you have to internalize that as a wing five and, and figure that out or as a wing three, like use that to your advantage. Use that to make you better at what you do. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's that's when I believe we're at our best is when we're allowed to feel and we're allowed to use that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I just got goosebumps. That's good. I think you gave great advice to fours. I think I want to give advice to our other Enneagram types uh, in regards to fours. A four's biggest fear, I think, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I don't think so at this point. I think one of our biggest fears is we we fear being too much for people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, and, sorry. And yeah. um <laughs> my advice to those who have an Enneagram 4 in their life is we need you to normalize our big feelings. We don't need to feel like we are too much. We already feel too much. We feel like we are too much or not enough um all at the same time, ironically. But the advice is yeah, is to normalize our big feelings. We need to know that we aren't too much for people. Mm -hmm. We want to be loved and we love big and we feel big and we know that. And we need you to know that and we need you to be able to affirm that in a healthy and in, a, in a, just a normalized way. Yep. We don't, we want to be different, but at the same time, we need to be told that our feelings, even though they may be bigger than most people's, mm -hmm. are normal just like everyone else's feelings. They're not different emotions. They just are more intense or bigger in yeah. size. Yeah. And that doesn't make them wrong and that doesn't make them 
irregular or weird or awkward. To normalize our big feelings when we're in relationship and in communication with people, that is one of the best ways you can make a four feel loved. And I think that's whether that's in a marriage, whether that's in friendship, or whether that's in the workplace, whether you're a boss hearing this and you have a wing, an Enneagram four, or you're a spouse or a friend and you have an Enneagram four, know that. Know Mm -hmm. that is the biggest way you can love a four well, Mm -hmm. is to just let them feel and normalize it for them. Yeah. Hmm. God, man, y'all both gave me goosebumps, both of y'all. Let me... Let me play this out a little bit because I, even though I'm an Enneagram coach, I have so much to learn and so much of what I learn actually comes from these conversations. So I never want to assume. So I'm going to play out what that means to me. And then I'd love for y'all to speak in and correct it if I've caught something wrong. Again, I want to be right. So feel free to correct me. You can tell me I'm wrong. I won't be offended. Let's say there's a moment where the emotions are big and I'm going to go with I think sadness, because that is a place where fours feel more courage to dive into more than any other type. So it looks sometimes like depression and it's deep and it feels dark. Me making space for that. Does that mean sitting with you in that and saying, I'm sorry? Does that mean giving you your space? If we were to put in some kind of situation where we could play out how we can make space for these big emotions, whether it's sadness or not. What does that look like? What does that look like at work, in marriage? It could be any circumstances where you've seen that actually play out well. I want to immediately jump on this because there is a book that I've read that talks about the perfect, I think, perfect picture of what you're asking. And so I'll answer first and then I will explain the analogy. My answer is fours, what they don't need... (laughs) when they are feeling big and it feels out of control, is a fixer. I think most fours, when they feel big, they need someone to just sit in it with them, Mm. to just sit in the suck. Um, And the analogy is from a book that was written by Ann Voskamp. Mm. And she talks about the idea that when we're hurting and when we're sad, sometimes it feels like we're sitting on the floor in a house that is on fire. And sometimes we don't want a friend to play firefighter and come in and try to put the fire out and try to get us dragged out of the house or try to fix the situation. We just need someone to walk into the burning house and sit down next to us in the middle of the fire and just sit there with us. Um, granted in real life, please don't do that. Um, just as a, is an allergy. Yeah. As a, as a courtesy, that is not literal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) not literal. Yeah. Mm, But I, I think, and maybe it might be different for you. I, but I think personally in my life, like when I'm really sad in regard to sadness, no, I, I typically almost never want someone to come in and come with solutions and try to fix it. I really just like, need you to sit in the sadness, normalize the sadness, know that I'm going to come out on the other side of it and that it's not forever. And like, it isn't, even if I say it's the end of the world, like I need people to know that it's not and that I know it's really not. Yes. I am 100% in agreement. I mean, are we allowed to get real? Like on this podcast? So I was diagnosed with severe depression the summer after my freshman year. And I mean, depression is awful for anybody. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not saying that it's worse for fours. I'm just saying as a four who experienced it, that was one of the hardest battles of my life. And it Mm -hmm. still is. There's still days where I struggle and I battle with that. Mm -hmm. And I have to allow myself to figure all that out. But as a 19 year old like kid 
which I was, I thought I was a man at that point. I was a kid. Sure. As a 19 year old kid going through that, I also went through a breakup during that time and it decimated me. Mm-hmm. It, it was one of those things where like, I didn't know how to, to handle that hurt and handle that pain. And a lot of people were trying to fix it. A lot of the people that were pouring into me were just trying to fix it. And I, and I was pushing people away because I didn't want fixing. I, I don't want this. You're coming in and you have solutions, but I don't want solutions. I'm just in so much pain right now. And I just remember one day I got home and I'd been pushing everyone away, even the people who weren't offering solutions. And my roommates, they knew something was wrong, but they were just waiting. They were, they were just waiting for me to come forward with it. And I finally just one day hit that wall where I just, I went into our living room and and I lived with three other guys and we had one unofficial roommate. And like those four guys were just kind of there. And I just sat on the couch and I just broke down and I, I finally let those walls down and I just started crying and they were just there with me and they were just like weeping alongside me. Like they were rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And they just wept and they were there with me and they knew my hurt. They, they had answers and eventually I needed those answers. But in that moment, I just needed them to sit in that burning house with me. And so what you said like is absolutely on point. Like, Again, that's just a metaphor. Yeah, just a metaphor. I didn't light the house on fire and then say, we broke up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. But I didn't. And so I and throughout my life, whenever I, I do have those those feelings, like I want someone to come and share in those feelings with me. Mm-hmm. Um, a, another end of that was like going to a Reliant K concert last year. Like I was so pumped and I, and I didn't need someone to come alongside me and learn all the Reliant K songs and learn all this stuff and come with me. But my wife was just going to come with me and I was going to share this high, high with her mm-hmm. of just being so excited and all these things. And like the, the, some of my best memories are things like that where I was like, they just shared that experience and that emotion with me. They got to kind of come alongside me and, and have this. And so whether that's super low things like going through a breakup and having roommates who are amazing or going to a concert for your favorite band and someone's just there with you, like it's it's so special. And so I absolutely agree. Just feel with us. Just mm-hmm. feel it, man. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's so good. Thank y'all. That is very helpful. I think because we can hear things like just make space, but we will interpret what that means according to our own Enneagram types. So those were great examples. Thank you, guys. Fours are often talked about as the most self-loathing type. And I think we can all experience some form or fashion of that. Like once we can be super critical of ourselves and we can always see the things that we're doing well. I think every Enneagram type resonates with that a little bit, but there's something to this self-loathing with fours that I'm curious about and would love to know, how do you see that show up? Do you agree with the statement that fours probably are the most self-loathing of all the other types? I'm just curious about it. What else would you want to share? Oh, I, uh, I, I'll start because I, I mean, just the other night had a, a breakdown and like I said, going to get real, uh, had a breakdown and was just like, I hate myself. And like to my wife, I was talking to my wife and I was like, I hate myself. I am totally unqualified for this job that I have. I cannot believe, like, I feel like I tricked these people into hiring me. Like there, there's no reason that like I deserve you or any of these good things happening to me. And so like, it, it was very much a real, and I, you know, it was not a, a good reaction. It was one of those things where I put a cap on things 
and it all bubbled up and that emotion that came out was self-loathing and it comes out a lot. And so I absolutely agree. Like, yes, like self-loathing and all of that is one that I really struggle with a lot of not feeling worthy, like in, in wondering and in, in thinking like, this is how everyone else feels about me too. Mm. They will put up with me. They're around me because they have to be, they're constantly annoyed with me. I'm too much. And because of that, I hate me too. Mm. And so like that, it's so hard sometimes to get past that because I, we've talked about it. Like we know every single thing wrong with us and we want to, that to be fixed and we don't want that to come out. And so I, like I've, that's one that I personally struggle with a lot is just that self-loathing aspect. What would you add? I'm over here getting emotional because I had that breakdown this morning and um, on my walk, I would listen to a 20 minute TED talk that Brene Brown gave on shame. And she defines the difference between guilt and shame for people. Guilt is, I have done something is saying wrong. I made a mistake mm-hmm. and shame is I am a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I lost it on my walk. And I was talking to my boyfriend this morning and kind of that same breakdown that you had. I was like, you know, I, I struggle because I feel like kind of like right now in my life, I'm really praying through and struggling with feeling like my life is kind of flailing. I don't know where my career is headed. I don't know what's next for me in my job. Um, I'm in a new relationship after one, after my previous relationship that ended in a failed engagement. Um, and so, um, yeah, that self-loathing is hard because you do feel like you're too much. And I resonate so much with what you said about my, my closest friends have gotten used to the fact that every couple months I'm going to ask them, do you really like me? Mm-hmm. Are you sure you really want to be my friend? Cause I get it. If I'm too much, I know I am. I have to live with myself every day. And that's really hard in, in romantic relationships too. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Because like, it's for me, it, being in the dating phase, I'm like, Hey, it's not too late for you to cut ties and run buddy. Like I get it. I, I gave my wife an out. Yeah. <laughs> when we were engaged, I said, you, it's not too late for you to like, it's going to hurt my feelings if you don't want this, but if like, please don't get married to me and then decide you can't do this kind of attitude. And so <laughs> she's a six. So she's like, no, I'm in, buddy. Yeah, You're she stuck would, with me too. She like handcuffed herself to me. It was like, if you say that ever again, I'm going to break your arm off. Like, <laughs> I'm going to destroy the bushes in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> she's a, she's a black belt. So she could do it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this conversation with Enneagram 4s, Jaden Ames and Dusty Green. I hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. If you're interested in diving deeper into the Enneagram and discovering how it can benefit your team, consider our Enneagram team trainings. Our team trainings are designed to help you better understand yourself and the people you work with. They're also designed to help improve communication and collaboration and enhance overall team performance. We offer customized team training sessions based on your team's unique needs and goals, and we'll guide you through interactive discussions that will leave you feeling empowered and inspired. To learn more about our Enneagram team trainings and to schedule a session for your team, please visit the website at theworkingenneagram.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.